Take your Bibles tonight and turn to the book of Isaiah chapter number 40. Isaiah chapter 40. I want us to look at a passage tonight, um, and I think that God states from the very beginning his purpose in this chapter. From the very beginning, God grabs a hold of the first person. I love when God does this. He doesn't always do this, but I think it ought to catch our attention when he does. Most of Isaiah is written in the third person. God is using Isaiah. I believe the Word of God is inspired. That word means that it's God-breathed, and so I believe that all of the Scripture comes to us from God. This is, and then he's promised that he's going to preserve it and keep it, and he's given it to us, and I believe that we can 100% trust that we have the Word of God in our hands. So it's not like some parts are inspired more than others, but I still, it grabs my attention when God is referenced in the third person most of the time, and then in the midst of someone's writing, God explodes and grabs a hold of the first person, and he says something himself. And he does it twice in this chapter. And I want us to see the first time is the very first verse where God gives us his purpose behind this chapter of Scripture. He says, comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. God wants for us to be comforted. And he lays that out for us in the very beginning of this chapter. We're going to be primarily looking at the end of this chapter, starting in verse number 27. I don't know what's going on in the lives of the people in this room. I don't know what kind of trials. I don't know what kind of troubles. I don't know what Um, is going on here. If this room is full of normal people, then the truth of the matter would be that I believe um, there's probably trials represented in this room. Uh, Times of testing, seasons maybe of discouragement. Um, And I believe that God wants us to know His comfort. God uses pain. He uses trials. I was uh, just going through a book called Deeper. We're going through it as a team. We were just going through our weekly book study this morning with our team, and we were looking at a, a chapter that had a horrible name. You know what the name of the chapter was? Pain. And how that God uses pain to take us all deeper. It's part of God's process. Um, Whether it's the pain of just circumstances that are totally and completely out of your control, they're not in any way consequences. You look at the book of Job, Job's friends are saying, this has to be consequences of your sin. Job's going, no, it's not. It was, just, it was just testing. Um, 
to, to maybe it is the consequences, the purging, the work of God through consequences of weeding out things in our lives that ought not be there. No matter what it is, which just so you know, that's why the trials and the testing that's going on here in this chapter is going on. It is consequences, but whether it's consequences or whether it's just the everyday testing of life, um, folks, God is up to good in the lives of his people. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and many times we can rush to this passage as people are going through trials, and I think we have to be very careful, right in the middle of heavy, hard, heartbreaking, life-shattering trials, we have to be careful just rushing in with, hey, don't worry, all things are going to work together for good. We have to be careful. I believe that's truth. I don't know if you've ever been through life-shattering trials, but sometimes you need to hear that. But but maybe first you need what the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, which is, hey, why don't you just weep with those who are weeping? Um, But it is true that that the trials of this life are working together for good. And in verse number 29 of Romans chapter 8, it tells us what that good is. That good is God working in us to conform us to the image of His Son, taking us deeper, making us grow whether it's purging out some bad or whether it's just simply testing our faith and the endurance that grows in our life makes us stronger. Folks, we don't always know why we, why we have suffering, why there's pain, why there's hard things. We don't always know exactly why. But I will tell you this. We do know that God wants His people to know His comfort. And so this chapter begins, God says, I want my people to be comforted. We're going to be over and start in verse number 27. Because in the midst of the trials that these people are going through, they are questioning God. And I want to be really careful because I think that there's times for us to question God. You want to know why I believe there's times when we question God and it's okay? Because God has given us an incredible amount of lament passages of Scripture. You know what laments are? They are the, the, the writers of Scripture questioning, God, what's going on? How long, oh God? And you know what portion of Scripture God gave to us the lament passages in? You know what portion of Scripture they're in? They are in the poetry portion of Scripture. You know what poetry is given to us for? Because it was a literary device given to us to help us memorize. Laments 
are given to us so that we can know how to grieve and express our pain and our suffering. And yet, if you spend time really looking at the lament passages, they always keep coming back to, but God, I'm just going to hold on to you because I trust you. Because I believe you're going you're to help me. And so I want us to look because in Isaiah chapter number 40, starting in verse number 27, we find this. They aren't just lamenting. They're actually, and they're not just questioning. They're actually, their questions have turned into accusations. And I want us to look at some accusations that the people are making towards God. And in verse number 27, he says this, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? And here they are. First of all, they were saying this, My way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by my God. Now, we're going to look at those two questions they were asking tonight. But look as he comes to verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak. To those who have no might, he increaseth strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Can we pray and ask God to help us as we look at this tonight? Father, we need your comfort. Lord, I don't know what's represented in this room. Lord, I do not know what's represented in this room. I don't know the trials that are here. Lord, I don't know the struggles. But Lord, I, I believe that you use our trials and our struggles to make us stronger, to take us deeper, to grow in us the peaceable fruits of righteousness. Lord, to ultimately make us like Christ. And so, God, I pray that Lord, whatever trials are represented in this room right now, or Lord, uh, maybe they've, they've just taken place, or maybe they're, they're coming up and we don't even know they're coming. Lord, may we be people who know your comfort because we know who you are. Lord, help us, we pray. In Christ's precious name, amen. So Steve Pettit, who I traveled with for a while and who really invested in me, I used to hear him say all the time that everybody has trials and that we're actually probably all in three different positions when it comes to trials and struggles. Either we're right smack dab in the middle of a trial or we just got out of a trial or hold on tight because there's one right around the corner. Folks, it's just God's way 
of taking us deeper. After 9-11 happened, there was a, a, a Jewish rabbi named, last name Kushner, Rabbi Kushner. He wrote a book that actually became a very popular book. It was called, Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? Now, I believe his premise of the book is already flawed because the Bible says there's none righteous, not one. That means not me, not you, not any. The Bible says there in that same passage, Romans 3, there's none that are good. That means not me, that means not you, that means not any. That passage goes on to say, we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's me, that's you, that's everyone. So his number one premise, why does bad things happen to good people, is already somewhat flawed. But let me tell you what his struggle was in the book that he wrestled through. Well, it's really two different things that the Bible teaches about God. And his struggle is he actually just didn't believe the Bible. His struggle was that the Bible teaches that God is sovereign and in control. But at the same time, the Bible teaches that God is loving and good. And he basically, his wrestling point in the book is that they both couldn't be true. Either God is good, but he's just not in control. And so that's why something like 9-11 could happen. Or God is in control, but apparently he is just not good, or something like 9-11 just couldn't happen. And folks, I just want you to know that this is not a small struggle. This is a hard struggle. How is it that suffering takes place? Why is it that hard things happen? And folks, I really do believe the Bible completely teaches that we have a God who is completely sovereign. We have a God who is completely loving. And we also have a God who is completely wise. And my friend, I want you to know that we need to know what the Bible says about all three of these. Um, let's look as we come to verse number 27. I believe that the people of God here in the midst of their trials, in the midst of their trouble, in the midst of the struggles, they are really asking these same two questions. They are wrestling with these same two things. He says this, verse 27, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, and listen to the first accusation against God? My way is hidden from the Lord. The first thing they were saying is in the midst of this, God doesn't even know what's going on. God doesn't see. He's not all-powerful. He's not completely in control. He doesn't even see us. He doesn't even know what's going on. Our way is hidden from him. The first accusation that they had is that God isn't completely in control. He's not sovereign. I want you to look at how the answer comes back from Isaiah. He says in verse number 28, have you not known? 
Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary, and his understanding is unsearchable. You know what that last phrase means? There's no way that we can understand how much he understands. Folks, this is an emphatic statement that, oh, no, 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 God knows everything. He sees everything. He holds everything. Folks, there is not anything that is outside of his control. Nothing. If you back up into this chapter, there's some other statements that I just love in this chapter. He's been talking this way Um, Throughout this entire chapter, back up to verse number 12, I love as he challenges his, uh, God's people who he, God has declared to them through their history who he is. And he says in verse number 12, who has meted or who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, measured heaven with a span and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure weighed the mountains in a scale and the hills in a balance? I love these questions. Who has directed the Spirit of the Lord? Or who, um, or as his counselor, has taught him? With whom did he take counsel? And who instructed him and taught him in the path of justice? And taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? You, 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 you can't help but almost feel a little bit of a jab here as he's saying, who holds this world in his hands? Who did he come to for counsel when he was creating all this? Did he come to you for counsel? Did he come to you for wisdom? Did he not know what to do so he came to you to be taught? You almost feel this, this This jabbing at God's people, you know better than this. You know that he's in control. A little bit later, almost Isaiah falling back on the language of a little bit of almost sarcasm as he he talks about how that the the people, um, how that someone would go and they would make an idol. This is in the, the verses following here. They would make an idol made of stone or made of wood and they would they, they would they would find someone who could craft this, who would craft an idol that would not fall, that would not fail. And he is he is actually a little bit of sarcasm saying saying People of this world will look to an idol instead of actually trusting in a God who raises up princes and kings and and governors and presidents. He raises them up and no sooner are they in power and it says he brings them down. Folks, we have a God who's in control. I said this on Sunday morning for those of you who are here, and aren't we thankful that those in Washington actually aren't really in control? 
We have a God who's sovereign, and he is emphatically making the point to the people. And then listen to this, folks. I just love it. Verse number 25. Here it is. This is God once again. He, he, God, God has Isaiah referencing him in the third person this entire, most of the book, this entire chapter. He talks about him, he, him, he, talking about God in the third person. He's talking about God. In verse number 25, God once again just explodes to the first person and he grabs a hold of it and he says, who do you think I am? Look at verse 25. To whom then will ye liken me? Or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One. Folks, who do we think God is? The challenge here is do you know Him? In the midst of your trial, in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the struggles, in the midst of pain, in the midst of loss, folks, can I tell you what we need to make sure of? That we know Him, who He is, what He is like. When we're in the midst of wondering if God is in control, I love what He does in verse 26, it's just awesome. In verse number 26, he basically says, hey, God, God says, I've given you an object lesson to go look at every night of your life if you're wondering if I'm in control. Look at verse number 26. It says, lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things? Who bringeth out their host by number? He calls them all by name, by the greatness of his might. And the strength of his power, not one is missing. What is he talking about? He's talking about the stars. Okay, listen to the timing of this. This is right at a point where God is really challenging these people. Do you really think that I'm not in control? Do you really think that I don't know what's going on? Who, who are you comparing me to in your mind? Who are you likening me to? And then, and then he says this, would you just go outside and would you look up at the host of stars? Um, folks, God has given us an object lesson for us to look at every night of our life when we want to know if God's in control. I don't know if you've ever listened to any examples of this or looked up any cool things. I don't know if you're like a space, uh, a, 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 you know, a space person who loves to, to look at all these facts. And I mean, we, we could actually do lots of different little things. I, I'll just do one for you. Have you ever, just to kind of try to, try to show us how much we can't even wrap our brain around how big it is. Um, have, have you ever done a little study to try to find out how fast we're moving? Do you know how fast we're moving right now? Folks, can I tell you something? We're not sitting still. Um, let's just, let's talk real fast. You ready? little science experiment. I mean, I got this straight from Google folks, so it's obviously got to be right on the money. No, really. Listen, let me just, let me, let me just help you. All right. So we know we're spinning, right? How long does it take us to make one complete rotation on, on our, on our orbit? How, how on our axis, how long? 24 hours. Okay. Now if you're on the, the, the poles, okay, it's where you're really actually not moving that fast. It actually just takes you 24 hours to pull one of these, right? I mean, that's all it is. 24 hours. You're moving pretty slow. If you're on the equator, 
then folks, you've got a long ways to go to get all the way back to where you started in 24 hours. Actually, if you're on the equator, you know how fast you're moving if you're on the equator? You're actually moving at a speed of 1,040 miles per hour. That's trucking. 1,040 miles an hour in order to make one complete rotation if you're on the equator. But not only are we spinning on our axis, but then we're also in our solar system, we're spinning around the moon, right? Um, We're 93 million miles from the moon. That trip is 600 million miles. How long does it take us to make one complete rotation all the way around the sun? A A year, 365 days. In order to make that trip in 365 days, you know how fast we have to be traveling? 67,000 miles per hour. So we're, tra- we're spinning at 1,040, but then we're also spinning at 67,000 miles per hour. But our sun, in the center of our solar system, we understand is moving. And it's traveling around our galaxy, the Milky Way. The galaxy is, our galaxy is huge. It is huge. And we are flying in our galaxy. Our galaxy is so big, they say that it will take us 250 million years to make one rotation around our galaxy. Now, I'm a, I'm a, I'm, I'm a, I believe in the young age of, of the earth. So that being the case, I mean, that means we've only moved like this far. I mean, do you know how fast our sun is moving through our galaxy? It's over 400 thousand miles per hour our sun with us going around it is traveling in a rotation around our galaxy and then on top of that we can't even quite tell how fast our galaxy is moving um, as we look at other galaxies over are they coming towards us are we going towards them are we going past each other folks i mean the 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 most the most conservative number i have ever found as to how fast ultimately we are moving. I mean, folks, it goes up from here. The most conservative number I've ever found as to how fast the earth is spinning and moving is 1.3 million miles per hour. And we're just, we're just sitting here in Rock Hill, South Carolina, and your hair's not even moving. <laughs> folks, we are cruising. And it's just so gigantic we can't even wrap our brain around it have you ever wondered why he made it oh so big i mean have you ever felt like man i mean isn't it kind of overkill folks you know what i mean maybe it's for none other reason than just for us to look at and realize that we will never understand how big and how powerful he is. I love when he says that he has named every single one of them. And it says because he's strong in power and strength, it says not one is missing. You know what that means? Not a single one of those millions of stars has a mind of its own and is all out doing its own thing. Every single one of them obey his voice. And folks, can I tell you what else obeys his voice? Every single 
one of my circumstances. Folks, nothing that touches my life is outside of his control. Nothing. We have a God who is all-powerful and all-knowing. Their first accusation against him was false. You don't even know what's going on. Their accusation, number two, though, I think is even worse than the first one. Their second accusation, look at what it says in verse number 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? So here it was. First they were saying, my way is hidden from the Lord. He didn't even know what's going on. He's not in control. Here's the second one. And my just claim, that means what is justice. Oh, what a word for today. Justice. True justice, they were claiming, is passed over by my God. That word passed over, it's the same Hebrew word where we have the pass over. It basically is saying, God, you come to what is justice towards me. And you intentionally just pass over it. The first accusation is that God doesn't know and he's not in control. The second accusation is, God, you don't care. And folks, can I just say to you, I really believe a lot of times the second accusation is the one we struggle with the most as Christians. I think sometimes if you grew up going to Sunday school, man, you heard a whole lot about how big God was, how powerful God was. Man, you kind of got your facts straight if you believe in creation. Man, you got, you got lots of facts and lots of stuff that just, man, there's got to be a God. There's just too much order out there. This can't be a big accident. And if it's not an accident and there's someone in control of it, he sure is powerful. Folks, I think sometimes we can fall back and really, really believe. You know what? He's powerful and he's in control. But man, in the middle of my trial, sometimes we're tempted to say, well, then you know what? He just doesn't care. Or there's no way he would let this cancer rock my world. Or there's no way he would let this pain of loss in our family. Or there's no way that he would allow us to go through this trial. And folks, I think sometimes in the midst of just hard, hurtful things. It is so easy for us to really, really doubt. I remember Carol Ann. I talked about Carol Ann a couple nights ago. Carol Ann Clemens traveled with us. Uh, she was with us last time she, we were here. At 24 years old, she lost her husband in a car accident. And he was 24, Matt was 24. And so here Carol Ann is left by herself with her one-year-old son. And I remember her saying this very thing to me. She said, I, Aaron, I know, just crying, I know God's in control. And I really want to believe that he loves me. But I'm just struggling. Does he really care about my heart? Um... Folks, I want you to listen to what the Bible says. 
as this passage goes on down to the end of the chapter. He says, have you not known? He deals with God's power and his might. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. But then listen to this. Listen how personal his power is. Folks, this is the power with which he just spoke this vast universe into place. He gives his power. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might. He increases their strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary. And the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I remember back a few years ago, um, this would have been, my daughter was one and a half. It was on an Easter Sunday when my daughter was one and a half years old. Um, She turned two years old in the fall, and so this was in the spring, and she was one. I was was preaching at a church just outside of Lansing, Michigan on an Easter Sunday morning. Um. My, uh, at the end of the service, I was out talking to some people out in the foyer and the nursery at that church was downstairs and somebody had brought my daughter up from the nursery and she sees me. She was as, she was cute as could be a little chubby thing. And she was one and a half years old and she comes running over to me with this little stiff one and a half year old run. And, uh, she comes over and she is so excited. She's going, Dada, Dada. and she had in her hand, she had a, a bunny rabbit Pez dispenser that somebody had given her. You know, the little Pez candy and the little, it was a bunny rabbit, Easter bunny. And she comes over and she's so excited. She's got this thing and she knows that it's got some little toy in there, but she knows that somehow, somewhere in there, there was some candy. And that was her love language was sugar at the time. And so she is so excited. She's coming over and everybody's kind of looking at her because she's so cute and has her little Easter dress on. She's running across and you know, everybody's like, oh, she's so cute. And anyway, so I, she comes over to me. I pick her up and give her a big hug and she's like holding this thing out. She wants a piece of candy. So I, I get down on my knee and I'm opening it up. And I, as I'm opening up, I'm going to give her a little piece of candy. And, uh, and, but she's watching every move. And as I'm doing it, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to have these little candies everywhere. Let me just go ahead and stick them down inside the little Pez dispenser. You understand a Pez dispenser. So anyway, I, I'm, I'm sticking the candy in. She's watching every move. But when I get done, but, uh, folks, she sees the little toy. She sees the empty wrapper. But somehow, someway, the candy's gone. Now, I got the head pulled back. There's actually a piece of candy sticking out, but she doesn't see it. And I mean just instantaneously. I mean, she's watching this whole thing. And from her perspective, Daddy just made all the candy disappear. And this little girl, I'm telling you, she goes bonkers. I mean, we're talking. I mean, she is cute no longer. I mean, she is on the ground. She is kicking, screaming. I mean, we're talking weeping, wailing, gnashing of teeth, folks. It was bad. You know, all these people who thought she was so cute out of going, <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> man, I mean, I, 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 I mean, inconsolable. I had to pick her up, you know, and I'm like walking over to the pastor's office, which is just outside the, the auditorium. And I sat down on this little love seat couch that I had. And I'm, I'm trying to reason with my one and a half year old and it's not working. And I mean, I'm just like baby and I'm just talking to her. And I finally, 
get her barely calmed down enough to where I'm pulled back the head, the little piece of candy sticking out, and I, I help her little fingers pulling out, and she just, whoa. And she pops in in her mouth like, mm, everything's fine now. You know, I'm sitting there with my daughter in the middle of Michigan. Man, this was, what, 13 years ago? Just after Easter Sunday, and I'm sitting with my daughter, and I just started weeping. God used that little situation with my daughter because I was actually, right at that moment, I was in the biggest trial I'd ever been in my life. I mean, God was rocking my world. And I didn't understand. I didn't know why. I'm praying. I'm asking him to take it away. He's not taking it away. Um, it was so painful. It was so hard. I, 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 it was so deep. And I'm just struggling. Um, and and I, I remember just sitting there with my daughter, and I'm holding her, and I'm watching her not trust me. She didn't trust me. And, and I, I have this question. I wonder, if, I wonder if you're sitting here tonight and you really, really believe down deep. Maybe you believe that God is withholding something good from you. Because that's actually what I believed. I believed that God was withholding something good from me. Because that's what my daughter believed about me. She didn't believe that I cared about what was best for her. Or maybe you believe not that God is withholding something good from you, but that actually God has brought something that is is not fair. He has come to what is just toward you, and he's just passed over it. He's disregarded what is what is just toward you. And folks, what my daughter was struggling with is exactly what I was struggling with towards God in the midst of this trial. I didn't believe that God was up to good. I didn't believe that his plans were what were best. And I don't know what's going on in your life, but I I want you to look at this text. It says that God, the God who created the universe and spoke it into existence and is in control of every bit of it, this same God, he gives this power, verse 29, to those who are weak. That was me. I was so emotionally weak. And it says to those who have no might, he increases their strength. I love verse 30. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. You know what that verse means? It means that trials come to everybody. You know what one of the, the, even the youths, the people who you don't think are going to run out of strength, even the ones who you can't ever imagine fainting. I watch my boys. Man, they just run and run and run and run and run and run. I'm like, (laughs) hold on. Hey, hold up. Wait up for old dad. Man, they, you expect them to never run out of strength, but even the youths shall faint. You know, one of the, this chapter that we read in our book this morning that was simply entitled Pain, God using pain to take us deeper. 
um, guess what the first subtitle was? It was called The Universality of Pain. And the whole point was it comes to everybody at some point because it's God's method of taking us deeper. His plans of taking us deeper, of growing us, making us stronger, making us look more like Christ. Even the youths, even the young men who you think will never run out of strength, they all fall. They all grow weary and faint of heart. But listen, folks, I don't care if you're young. I don't care if you're old. I don't care if you're healthy. I don't care if you're not. I don't care if you feel like you're emotionally stable. I don't care if you feel like you're an absolute emotional mess. Listen to the last verse. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Folks, what does it mean to wait? I mean, first of all, let me just say something about waiting. It's like of all the words that he could have used right there, why did he have to use the word wait? I hate to wait. I was at a fast food restaurant the other day, just last week with my boys. I'm telling you, they were redefining fast food. I'm like, we were the only people in line. We were the only people in line. What can possibly be taking this long? You're looking in there. Um, We just live in such a day and age. It's like, don't make me wait. Come on. We're not supposed to wait. Um, We're such impatient people. Folks, wait upon the Lord. There's no doubt about it. There is a time aspect to this. God's timing is not our timing. God's ways are not our ways. We must learn from a time aspect. There has to be an understanding of waiting upon the Lord. But then it's not just a time aspect. There's also a spiritual aspect of waiting upon the Lord. And I believe a a word that we have that we find in Scripture that I think what it means to wait upon the Lord is actually to rest. Rest. Are you good at resting? I mean, physically speaking, folks, I am, I'm a pretty, I I actually rest pretty well. Not everybody rests well. And I, I, I actually will have seasons in my life where maybe I don't rest well when I have something really heavy on my mind. And those night watches where you just, man, you find yourself, you wake up for no good reason. And you just lay there and tear through struggles and trials and decisions that you have to make. And I have those seasons. Um, but by and large, I actually am a pretty decent rester. You know, like even this afternoon, for just a quick, quick minute after music practice, I, uh, I ran home and I'm like, man, I have time to lay down for a minute. And you know what? Man, I hit my bed. I love my bed. I love, I hit that, I hit that bed. And I mean, just like that, I was gone for a little 20 minute power nap. Boom gone. I rest. When I rest, I rest well. I'm actually, I, I could be a professional rester. If, um, if we were going to have a resting competition, I bet I could beat you. Okay. I, I just, I just, I, I'm thankful for that. I kind of hit, man, I can just kind of shut things off. When I lay in that bed, you know what? I, 
I, I like, I don't lay there wondering if that bed's going to hold me up. I mean, I rest. My, my, my muscles, they just kind of, you know, go just, just, I don't want to lay there and be like tense, you know. And I mean, right now, standing here, I got all kinds of muscles working. Man, my back muscles, my leg muscles, my neck muscles, my ever got, I got, what, what, you sitting there, even though you're just sitting still, you still got all kinds of muscles doing all kinds of stuff. Folks, when I lay on that bed, I just, I don't want anything doing anything. Just lay in there. I mean, I want my, I, I want my, you know, my, my heart and lungs to keep doing their thing. But, you know, um, folks, rest. You know what spiritually speaking rest is? It's, it's when you stop trying to fix everything. It's when you take your hands off. It doesn't mean you stop crying. And it doesn't mean you bury your head in the sand and ignore it and maybe it'll go away. No, folks, you wrestle, you cry. But, folks, there is a a handing it over saying, God, I can't fix this. Um, God, I can't fix my children. I can't fix these struggles. And so there's a rest of the soul. Folks, you know what? I personally think that rest, sleeping, is actually a brilliant but yet comical move on the part of God. I mean, just think about our lives. And actually, this isn't a result of the fall. Actually, before the fall in the Garden of Eden, God had already instituted rest. God had already made Adam sleep. Folks, the fact that God makes me and you sleep, every day he makes us sleep. He he didn't have to do that. I mean, he's God. He could do whatever he wanted. God could have designed me and you to where we just slept once a month. No. He wanted every single day of our life for you and I to be reminded that we're not supposed to fix everything. Because let me ask you a question. What do you really fix when you're asleep? Nothing. Folks, but there is one who doesn't sleep and there is one who doesn't slumber. And it's not me and it's not you. And so we've got to trust him. We've got to rest. We've got to take our controlling, manipulative hands off. And we've got to rest. Waiting on His timing, but resting in His sovereignty and resting in His love and resting in His wisdom. And folks, if we will do this, we will find that we have strength. This does not mean all of the problems go away, but we have his strength to run and not be weary, to walk and not faint. Folks, even to mount up with with wings like an eagle and soar. Folks, he's going to give us his strength if we will wait and rest on him. You know, I'm not sure 
I, I don't know what's going on. Can I tell you why I landed here to preach tonight? Because last night, while my wife and Hudson were singing the song, He Answers, okay, let me just tell you what, we were up here on stage, and while Hudson was singing that song, He Answers according to, his, to who He is. And sometimes we feel like he doesn't hear, and sometimes we don't understand what's going on. Folks, while we were up here singing, I don't, you couldn't see how many tears were out here. But we could. And so I don't know what's going on in this room. But folks, we have a God who loves his people. And we have a God who's in control. And may we wait upon him. May we rest in him. Let's just have our heads bowed, our eyes closed. Mike's going to play just one time through a song. And just as he plays, can we just pray? Folks, come. Come to him. Are you broken? Are you weary? Are you emotionally tired? Are you spiritually fainting? Would you rest? Please help us to rest in you. And we ask this in Christ's precious name.